Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. Hi, James. How tired are you? I just took some NyQuil, so I'm going to be... Uh, if I might pass out at the end of this podcast. We're This is two weeks into the playoffs. Uh, I have a three-year-old who goes to daycare, so sometimes I get sick, and I am I am sick for Game 7. Did you just see what happened on the TV? Curtis Granderson just hit a, a home run to win the game against Boston. Yeah. Anyway, we're recording this before Game 7 the night before. Um, James is really tired. I don't know. Where, where do you want to start? What do you... Re- so I know people don't want to talk about 2013, but we have to talk about 2013. So I'll just tell you a story. I don't think I've ever told you this. I had three buddies come down for Game 7, like drive down to Boston, stay in my hotel room. because they like, And, and I remember they left for the game. They were really excited. And then obviously Game 7 happened. And I remember coming back after I'd written my story and everything like that. And they were all just asleep. It was like whatever time. Like they were like it, it just completely knocked them out. Like you can imagine for anybody who's listening who's a Leaf fan, what that must have been like. Um, what do you remember like about writing your story or anything from that night? Well, I remember I had a story at, at the Globe at the newspaper. We had to have a story filed pretty early, so I remember having a story basically written when they were up four <laughs> one, and it was not a great story. It was. The way that that game unfolded was surprising because the Leafs had been badly outplayed in Game Fives and Game Six, and somehow found a way. And then they just they ran out to that four-one lead, and it was I don't think that's what anyone was expecting. Cody Franzen had two of the goals, I think. I think my story was about Cody Franzen, kind of, you know, he had made mistakes early in the series, and he atoned for them by scoring two of the goals, and yada 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 yada, whatever. Um, I remember a lot of us we had hotels booked and we were looking at flights. I think we were they think they were playing the Rangers, is that right? It was yep, the- it was gonna be the Rangers. I think we talked about this on an earlier podcast, just that we were all planning to go to New York. Yeah, that's how this works. I mean, we're here for game seven in Boston and you know, we're we know we're gonna what hotel we're gonna stay in in Tampa and we're looking at flights and things like that, and it's not we don't. We fans are gonna say you're gonna jinx the outcome. It's like, well, this is this is just what life is like in the media. Like we just we just plan ahead for this kind of thing, and you know we have uh, status with the hotel, so we typically can cancel the hotels and things like that. So we booked them, and um, 
that's that's what I remember we were looking at the second intermission of that game. We were thinking, okay, we're going to New York. Mm-hmm. What are the hotels like? What are the flights like? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That kind of process stuff is sometimes what. And I, I remember just working on my story. But when the Bruins scored the four-two goal, was it was that the one Lucic got? They scored the four-two goal. I think there was about nine, was that Horton or was that Lucic? Nine minutes it left. Was one or the other. Ten minutes left. Something like that. Yeah, ten minutes around there. And just the way that the Leafs were sagging in that period, like they just weren't putting any pressure on at all. Like just not. They were they were folding the way that the Carlisle teams did over and over again at the end of the regular season that year. Like their possession going into the playoffs in their last ten games or whatever it was 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 terrible. Wasn't it like forty percent or yeah, something? It was like as low as we had seen any team perform over a stretch of games. Uh, and they got caved in in some of the games in possession uh, in in the postseason and. I just remember thinking, this isn't over yet. Like, it's 4-2. There's still 10 minutes left. And then it came right down. I think the Bruins didn't get the 4-3 goal until it was like a minute and a half left. And I think that was the one where Chara was standing in front of the net. Yeah, so I just watched – I was just – did an interview with James Reimer for The Athletic, which you know about. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't remember a lot of the goals. I don't know why. No, maybe because it happened so quickly. But I went back and watched it, and I forgot that that's what the Bruins did in that series. They had Chara camped out in front. At that point, and he just couldn't see the shot. Like, there's no way he he could have seen that shot. And I think like it's it's really crazy to think back to that series and think about like all the insane ramifications of that game. Like, there, it's very possible that this current team doesn't exist if they win that game. Right. Yeah. Which we- is insane to think about. Like, it's almost like the greatest heartbreak for fans ends up being something good. Right. Even as it was. They so they lose the series. They lose Game Seven, and then I th- did. Notice got the extension. I think after that point, I think. Yeah, I, believe, yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, because it was signed Clarkson, and then he like a few weeks later he got to get. Notice gets a five year extension as GM. Which don't is, forget they bought out Grabo. They bought out Grabowski. Yeah, which is insane. Like it was insane at the time, but like the more you think back, it's like that was crazy. That would be like them after this series buying out like. Kadri and obviously Kadri's better than Grabowski, but like Grabowski was basically their Kadri. Yeah, I remember texting Dave Nonis after it was announced that they bought out Grabowski, and I said something like, "Wow, that was a bold move" or something like that. <laughs> and I didn't hear back from him, and I don't think we talked again after that because then they signed Clarkson a couple days later, and I panned the, the signing in the paper, and I think that that was the end of any kind of friendly relationship <laughs> with with the GM at that point. But you know, it was. It's really interesting, you know, I, I, I put a column up tonight about uh, what would it mean for the Leafs to make it to the second round this year, because mm-hmm. some uh, one fan asked me today, is it, a, is it bad for the Leafs to advance this year because they'll ignore the problems the way that the 2013 uh, team probably would have done? Um, but I don't think so. I think that... I oh, think- there's no way. There's no world in which it's bad for them to advance. They're a good team. Right. Right, they're they're much better than the 2013 team. Like the, this year's Leafs team is the sixth, seventh, or eighth best team in the NHL. Like, Reimer was telling me that before that season, <coughs> they had a pregame meeting or a pregame meeting, a preseason meeting, and they were basically looking at like what team, what people had projected for them, and most people projected them for like 14th, 15th in the conference. Like they didn't expect, no one expected them to be that good. Right, right. So well, this they had diff- been terrible before, and Wilson got fired, and that that half season was Carlisle's first real year. Um, yes, and it was such. I, if it wasn't a half season, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. I mean, that's the way it ended up playing out the next year. Well, Kadri was like a point per game player. I remember you wrote that big story, basically telling everyone this is not real. And yeah, 
Do you remember that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that whole 2013 season, I was getting like hate mail like every day for everything I wrote. <laughs> so what else happened? So okay, we won't spend the whole time on 2013, but so they everyone's turning this off already. Well, we we can't ignore it. That would be like it's insane. For, for to us, ignore it's it. real deja vu going coming through this series. The Leafs go down three one. It looks like they're going to lose, and it's going to be a shorter series than. And then all of a sudden they come back. And now we're back here again for Game 7 in Boston. We're, like, walking around the same place. We're going to the same arena. Some of the players are the same. It's the same teams. But it's – but it's the important part is it's two different teams. Yeah. And especially two different versions of the Leafs. I know, but what I'm saying is that – Yeah, we can't ignore it. Just, like, the symmetry of the whole thing is weird, isn't it? It's Very like, weird. It's like Twilight Zone-ish kind of what's happening. Yes. All right. Well, so let's look at kind of how they've gotten themselves back into the series – uh, when you look at, they you know, better. okay, they played better. Great analysis. Great podcast. Um, if you had to point to like one thing above all else, what would you say is the biggest reason they got back in the series? Anderson's been way better. Anderson's been way better. I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest reason. And getting Kadri back. Those two things are huge, 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 huge. You know, if they, if they would have had Kadri in that game four, I mean, look at the uh, game five, that, that seam pass that Kadri makes to Andres Janssen. How many players in the league can make that pass? That I don't know how he got that there. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, well, and McAvoy had no idea what was going on with that, that pass. I mean, just having another option to create offense, and Placanich has really stepped up. And But wait, like that, that point, even just Janssen, that's why you play Janssen, and that's why you don't play Komarov, because Komarov yeah. can't make that play. Right. Yeah, 100%. So, like... Yeah. I would say Anderson one having Kadri back two. Um, Plakanich is like if I told you even like a week <laughs> ago or two weeks ago, whenever regular season that Thomas Plakanich was going to be playing a key role in the playoffs. Yeah, Mitch Marner we have to mention, but like Plakanich, this is just crazy what's happened. No, what I was going to say is Plakanich is tied for third in team scoring in these. I mean, he had an empty netter, so that's one of them. But in all all those points are even strength, uh, other than the empty netter. So. You know, Placanish is, is averaging about 15 minutes a game in the series. He's been good. I mean, he's he's good against good offensive players. He's good at nullifying what they do. And Placanish was always one of those guys that probably should have got a little bit more consideration for the Selkie Trophy when he was in Montreal. But he didn't produce. There weren't a lot of years where he produced a lot of offense. And, he was like 40 to 60 points ballpark. I think maybe yeah. four, more than 40, maybe like 50. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and he was also playing in an era when Bergeron was winning all the Selkies too. Right, but it's just crazy. Like it looked like, like we talked about it on here. It looked like he was done, and now he looks like it. Kind of reminds you how important it is, or not how important, but like when a guy is used to playing a lot and suddenly stops playing a lot, it's hard to like kind of figure out where you fit and how to be important. And he's back to playing like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen minutes. And the Bergeron line, like if you want to add another big thing all of a sudden they haven't like stopped the bergeron line but they managed to keep them from scoring yeah and you posted i thought that that good shot chart of pasternak and how he had been kept more to the outside than he was when he was lighting up the leafs in the first two games and you know i thought that that third period in game six was a statement period for the leafs i mean they were up to one they had been outplayed in the first 40 minutes of that game and they were great in the third period they just completely limited what the bruins were able to do and some of the Boston writers, you know, was talking to, to Joe Haggerty uh, about it. You know, he said that watching that third period, that was when he it, it first triggered for him that the Leafs could win this series. Which, I mean, huh. the Bruins writers, I think, were thinking Boston's the better team. We've watched this team all year. They're a good team. They have more points than the Leafs. The Leafs are a young team. 
Uh, they get beat up in the first two games. It just kind of reinforced, I think, that the Boston media was thinking this was going to be over in, in five or six mm-hmm. for the Bruins. Uh, but, you know, the the Leafs are deceptively good. We know because we watched them all year. I picked the Leafs to win this series because they don't necessarily need to control possession to win. They've got such a good offense. They've got such deep lines. Bringing in Pukanich obviously helps that. When they've got everyone healthy and everyone playing. And then you, you add in another layer where the Bruins have some of their best players beat up. McAvoy uh, is wearing a big knee brace when he's playing in this series. And his mobility has not been as good as it was during the season. Patrice Bergeron is beat up. And obviously he missed the one game. Uh, and they played more games than anybody else over the last two months of the season. And the Leafs played fewer games than anybody else. I think that, that we're seeing mm-hmm. that as the series goes on longer that that's a factor. Well, and I don't think you can discount the fact that I don't know. Like I thought it was really interesting. Connor Brown was saying after game six, they obviously got destroyed in the third period of game five and yet hung on to win. And he said like just going through that experience kind of taught them something for game six. It was <laughs> don't like do they, that again. It, right. But it was like, you know, they, he said like we're a really <laughs> young team and we haven't been in many situations like that. And you think back even to last year against Washington, obviously all those games are close, but there's not a lot of situations where you're up comfortably in a third period and like you have to close a really good team down. And it was like they took that experience from one game and two days later applied it to game six. Yeah, and I thought that the Bruins looked kind of slow and tired a little bit in game six and, and weren't able to they weren't able to make anything happen against what the Leafs were doing, which was a surprise because they've they look dangerous a lot of times at, at even strength in this series. So, uh, I mean, Game Seven is going to be fascinating. This has been a it's been a great series to cover from a media perspective, just with all the different storylines and how unexpected everything's been. And I I think the Leafs are going to win. I'm going to pick the Leafs in Game Seven. Wow, interesting. It's not crazy. You um, were saying today we were we were here we were here for dinner. Uh, we got in on our flight and. Uh, you were saying it kind of feels like the storylines are all set up. Like if you believe in, I mean, you just well, just, just from like if this was like a novel or something, it, it's like kind of everything's coming together for yes. the Leafs to change the, the narrative. Yeah, change and that, the narrative. like th- that's basically what's happened since Shannon took over. It's like everything that right. that was happening is like completely turning on its ass and like becoming something else well the Leafs were always this like hard luck franchise that couldn't do anything right and would like lose. and kept like shooting itself in the right. foot and they would collapse all the time and then ever since Shanahan took over it's like they keep making good like mostly mostly they made some bad decisions but mostly they just keep Babcock comes which no there were people writing columns for I think I think Mark Spector wrote one that said Babcock's not going to Toronto and like there were people who were saying there was no way it was going to happen and we were kind of thinking, well, maybe there's a small chance, and then that happens, and then uh, they get Austin Matthews, and Marner ends up being an unbelievable player. What else went right? Like it just seemed like a whole bunch of things just kept lining up for them. Yeah, they signed like Kadri and Riley to these bargain contracts. Like it's just like, and the mistakes that they they made some mistakes, but they, there were some other mistakes that they like just avoided. Like Dave Boland suddenly didn't happen, and Josh Georges didn't happen. They like, were able to trade Clarkson. David Clarkson, yeah. They were able to trade Dion Phaneuf, not retain any salary. They were able to trade Phil, and obviously Phil's went on to have great success in Pittsburgh. But like, there are so many things that happened. Like they they kept Bozak and Van Riemsdyk when it looked like they trade them. Those guys, <laughs> while not as important, are still helpful contributors. You know, they had the important moments in was it Game Five? No. It was, Game five? Yeah, it was game five. Yeah. Um, but I've been maintaining, like, I really think that at some point Matthews will have a game. And that, 
I, and, it's and it's crazy what, to think. You, you remember what my comment was? <laughs> he's running. Duh, out, right? He, oh, I said he's running out of time. <laughs> yeah, but like it just feels like. I don't know. I just have this sense. Maybe this he'll have a monster here. series against Tampa. I mean, when you look at, at teams that play through three or four rounds in the playoffs, typically it's not their stars aren't always amazing every single round. Like I've, I remember you know watching Crosby go all the way through. Sometimes he'll have an amazing second round, and he's sure. a bit slower in the first round, or you know he'll be great in the round one and three. Or well, and you know what? This is the benefit, and I wrote this before the playoffs, so it's like in my mind. That's the benefit of having Mitch Marner because suddenly, like you have this first line caliber winger playing on a different line so Matthews is getting all like the top attention but now you've got Marner on a different line he's able to create a bunch of offense and like he's been their best player for I don't know since the end of January so yeah. it's not really surprising that this has happened I was shocked when I put on Twitter that Mitch Marner has been the MVP of the series for the Leafs and I got a lot of pushback from like I think a lot of people agreed with it but there was a lot of pushback people saying it was Anderson it's like I Babcock has been saying all all series basically that Anderson hasn't been good enough. I mean, he's been good the last two games, but other than that, even man, like even game, game five, five, I yeah. didn't. He made a lot of saves. I didn't think he looked comfortable making a lot of saves. Like game six was like that was him. Good Anderson, yeah. Was, so yeah. All right, is there anything else you want to get to? I think we should. The one other thing that I thought was important is they've they don't look like a disaster on the penalty kill anymore, which they did early in the series. That's important and will be important in Game Seven. I wonder if they figured something out on video and made an adjustment, or do you... that's what I, I can't remember if it was Brown or Hyman. That's what they said. I don't yeah. know what it'd be interesting because I think what happened coming into the series is that the Bruins did a lot of video work on the Leafs. The thing is, you got to remember is that these two teams knew they were probably going to play each other for a long period yeah. of time. I bet you the coaching staffs did a lot more work on their opponent than they would previously, and I think that there were a lot of holes in the Leafs penalty kill that. Bruce Cassidy was able to find and expose in those first two games. Well, from what I can recall from those first couple games, it was a lot around the net, and it was like a lot of stuff like down low. Yeah, and if Which you look, makes sense because they're D slow. Well, and if you look what's happened the last few games, I think it's since the game three. <laughs> and you keep coughing, so I'm going to get sick. So thanks for that. I'm coughing um, over here. <laughs> I didn't even want to do it right now. Well, block. Too bad. Um, if you look at some of the numbers, like the the chances, the high danger chances have gone down, which tells you they're doing a better job. Anyway, is there anything else you want to mention before we go? Before you pass out from the Nyquil? Does Nyquil go, make you go to sleep? It's drowsy, oh, right? Yeah. I got I got blue pills and I got orange pills. The orange pills are for tomorrow to get through Game Seven. So it's um, we had to Airbnb this, by the way. Yeah, That's there's why. no hotels. For, for this game so Jonas and I are in like a little a little apartment in Boston together I've been I've been hanging out with Boston more than my family I he's <laughs> he's my work wife I I see him a lot so um we'll find out tomorrow if there's going to be another we go for another two weeks and we go to Tampa is like 31 degrees right now so it'll be interesting if we transition to being down there this weekend okay so either the next podcast will be kind of looking at ahead to that series and also back at game six or game seven or it will be a season wrap so we'll see what's your prediction are you gonna make one i don't make predictions i don't know what's gonna happen how the hell would i know well the thing is no one really knows no one knows i know bob mckenzie says i don't make predictions anymore and the thing is is that 
predict making predictions is kind of stupid because it's totally stupid because yeah. like it's trying to foresee into a future where anything can happen in sports well and like even the best forecasters in hockey are going to be wrong like 40 45 percent of the time so what i don't understand is that you write an article and you reason out why I, oh why i think the leafs are going to win this series and you get all of these idiots like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them just attacking you over and over again like lots of senators fans and stuff and it's just i don't know like it's Sports is supposed to be fun, and the debate's supposed to be fun, and I enjoy, like... The thing with predictions is that it forces you to make an argument about why you think something may unfold the way it, yeah. it might happen. And But the thing that's bad about it is that people take it so seriously, and there's that stupid account on Twitter, Old Takes Exposed or whatever, and... No idea. People, like, send your predictions to that, and then all, they send it to a bunch of other people to make fun of you. It's It's crazy. It's just, like... Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a Twitter account, and it's got like 60,000 followers or something like that. Is that like friends with that Nihilist Arby? Arby's? Uh, yeah, well, Nihilist <laughs> Arby's seems relatively harmless, unless I'm missing something. The old takes exposed. Like, what that account should be is like find these like hot takes that people made like a year ago. Right, that, what's wrong with making like a reason take for Well, something? that's the thing. Yeah. If you're just predicting that at two relatively evenly matched hockey teams, one is going to beat the other, then that's you're not really exposing a hot take. You're just kind of like being a dick (laughs) alright on that note we will be back with another podcast in the next few days thanks for listening thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle